there's like that speech that he's reciting from Malcolm X. It's like the government has failed or whatever. I'm like, hell yeah, the government's failed us. Like, anyway, where's my stimmy check? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the What's Our Verdict podcast, where we fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with my co-host, Javier Ortiz. What is up, my nerds? And Ian Anderson. Some shit. You ever find yourself wondering if you should spend the time, money, or both on a movie? We're here to answer that question for you. Each week, we put a movie on trial, discuss the facts, pass judgment, and let you know our verdict. We appreciate any help growing the podcast by hitting that follow or subscribe button. Tell a friend about us. Go check out our website and subscribe to our email list for exclusive content and updates, which you can do at whatsourverdict.com. Leave us a review, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that. It does help grow the podcast as well. Today we are reviewing Judas and the Black Messiah. It was released February 12th, 2021. It was written by Will Burson and Shaka King and directed by Shaka King. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, Dominique Fishback, Ashton Sanders, Algie Smith, and Martin Sheen. It tells the story of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his fateful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill. If you guys haven't listened to us before, we'll go through and give our thoughts about the movie. And at the end, we'll rate this movie on a zero to five scale, zero being crap, five being amazing and uh, let you know whether you should watch this or not if you haven't seen this movie now's the time to back away go watch it we are going to spoil it we do have a spoiler free review that you can check out on youtube or facebook at what's our verdict so go check that one out and then come back and pick up where you left off with this after you've watched the movie with that being said we're about to spoil the shit out of this thing so if you're okay with spoilers hang out let's dive into this thing guys yeah this is a heavy movie there's a lot to this movie that was going on from from start to finish. And I knew it was going to be, but I don't think I was prepared for quite how well it was going to be made, to be honest. I wasn't sure how intense they were going to make this because like like I was familiar with the story of Fred Hampton. I mean, as familiar as I think anyone is before, like having a movie thrown in your face and be like, OK, how much do I really know about this? Right. So I'm like, I knew that it didn't have a good non-violent ending but i was not prepared for like just how intense and and i keep saying violent but i mean it was violent but it was also like intense like there's just so much going on i wasn't prepared for that either yeah it was very very intense and very there was a a tension from start to finish even like the calm parts are very tense because you kind of like you said javier i mean i was aware of fred hampton i knew what happened to fred hampton i knew more or less you know how this movie's gonna end it's not like they're even quiet about it in the preview because it's it's, it's one of those things that's out there. And hopefully, I'm sure there's a lot of people have no idea who Fred Hampton was and or what happened. Yeah, I mean, I was aware and I, I knew who he was. But I also so like for me, just the using that knowledge ramped up the tension throughout, like even the quiet moments that to me felt like shouldn't be tense. Like it was like they were harder for me to watch because I knew exactly what was coming. So, Ian, you didn't know who Fred Hampton was? No, I mean, this is not an area that I have much knowledge on. So for me, it was, I, I, I've already compared it in the non-spoiler one to kind of how the trial of the Chicago 7 came off for me, too, where it was super insightful. I learned a lot, a lot of hard truths. And again, it made me want to know more and better understand what was going on. So after both these movies, I've the first thing I did was start searching stuff and start learning more about what went on, what's like Hollywood, what's real. And a lot of this movie is spot on with what I could find um, and kind of read further on. So I'm glad I got to watch it. It brought a lot of information that I didn't have before. So yeah, it was it was great for what it did. Can I do my uh, my gun plug? 
Yeah, let's let's get it out of the way now. I like it. Actually, I didn't have any issues with like the way guns were used in this. So honestly, I wasn't paying that much attention. I was I was more paying attention to people dying. So again, that speaks to the quality of this movie where there was like all sorts of guns in here. I wasn't counting shots. I wasn't watching how they're using the guns. I was like super concerned about who was dying. Anyway, the part about guns that I wanted to talk about was in the beginning when Fred Hampton was talking about like the difference between revolution and reform. Right. And he brings up, he's like his idea of reform or revolution is a Colt 45, right. Or, you know, give me a gun and I'll give you a revolution type of thing. And I always find the idea of like gun control and guns and like the oppression of minorities really interesting because you have, for example, you have a gun control bill that's been proposed to to Congress right now that would make it super, super expensive to own a gun, right? We're talking like $800 insurance, crazy taxes on guns and magazines. Like, like the guns that I own right now with the proposed taxes would almost, it would like double or triple the cost of my gun, right? Mm-hmm. So basically making it impossible for any lower income people to own guns. Who are the people who are targeted by police and violence more often than not, right? So the people who could really benefit from a firearm are losing access to it. On top of that, this same bill, like if it were to pass tomorrow and I I didn't comply, I would face like 50 years in prison and like $300,000 fines, right? Crazy stuff. But anyway, like this idea that you have these people who like, I support minorities, right? Like you have all these people who are like, I support Black Lives Matter. And then they turn around and say, I support big government and huge government regulation. I'm like, well, it's this huge government regulation that's making it impossible for these minorities to defend themselves against that government, against other oppressive groups, right? So anyway, my gun plug is stay strapped, guys, right? Like, (laughs) make it easier for people to have guns, right? Like, one takeaway from this movie is the only thing that stopped the police and the FBI from just absolutely obliterating the Black Panthers in the first 10 minutes of this movie is because the Black Panthers were armed. So anyway, that's my plug. I would, I'd love to see more people with guns. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Also, one last plug. Utah just passed a law that enacts in May that if you're 21 and over, you don't need a license to conceal carry. So if you want to be able to carry a gun without having to have a permit, come to Utah. Also, the economy is great here. There's jobs for days. So we'd be happy to have you. Schools are questionable, but you can carry weapons and you can get a job. (laughs) You you can even carry weapons into school here. So I don't know it. Well, I mean, only if you're 21. And if you're 21 and still in high school, there's a lot of other things you need to reevaluate in your life. Yeah, that's true. So it's interesting in that you bring up the trial of the Chicago 7, because obviously we're overlapping stories here a little bit. Fred Hampton was portrayed in the trial of Chicago 7 movie briefly. He was a background character that was in the trial while Bobby Seale was there. And then on the flip side, they mentioned Bobby Seale throughout this movie a number of times, specifically at the end when they were trying to get Fred to, to flee the country as well before he was supposed to go back to prison and ultimately was was murdered. But yeah, so there's a lot of overlap and obviously it was a very crazy time. I think one of the things that stuck out to me, and you kind of mentioned this too, Ian, is the fact that I knew I was going to want to do some more research. Like I said, I knew a little bit about the story and what had happened prior to, but that's why I was like, I mentioned in the in the spoiler free that I went in and did research prior to watching the movie because I was curious. I wanted to go in. Normally I watch them with a grain of salt going, I, eh. There's a good chance there's some serious artistic license that's being taken with this story. We talked a lot about that with the trial 
of the Chicago 7 as well. And there was quite a bit more with that one than what I've read with this one. So everything that I've been reading with this one is there's only a couple of things that were off as far as that artistic license, one of which being something that I mentioned again in the in the spoiler free, that being the age of the actors versus the age of the actual men being portrayed. So Fred Hampton was somewhere around 19 when he met probably around 20, 1920 when he met Bill O'Neill. And Bill was 17 when he started, when he got arrested. And then months later, he started working for the FBI. And that was one of the biggest, the other big ones is that Bill O'Neill actually didn't steal a car from the, whichever group. The Crowns. The Crowns. He didn't steal the, he and a buddy got drunk at a bar and decided to steal a car as they were leaving, got in an accident with that car got arrested because of the accident. And then months later, like four months later, he was contacted by the FBI agent to then come in and and end up being an informant for the FBI, Roy Mitchell. So it was months down the road before he was ever contacted about that. And so it wasn't, he wasn't like this premeditated running around pretending to be an FBI agent. It was something that they did as they walked out. They stole a car as they walked out of a bar getting drunk, him and a friend. So that was a bit less exciting. Yeah, of course, you know, you got to (laughs) have, you got to do something different. And then another piece that they talk about that was different was actually something that they were going to do at the end of the movie. So the writer and director were planning on having the raid on Fred Hampton's home be, you know, the typical Hollywood raid, like FBI agents flying through the windows, doors getting kicked down, shit like that. And they went and spoke with Fred Hampton's widow quite a bit during this the filming and the writing. And and she said, no, it's not how it was. She said they just came in through the front door and just started shooting. It, it was very nondescript. It was non, she goes, so they changed it from, and it was mostly Chicago PD. The FBI arranged it. And there were some FBI agents there apparently, but apparently a lot of them that were there, what I was reading was, was Chicago PD that was mostly involved. But yeah, they, they, she said, that's not how it was. She goes, it, they just came in the front door. We heard the front door open. We heard people people moving throughout the home and then they just lit up the house with gunfire like it was just crazy gunfire there was like night well and they said in the movie at the end there were 99 bullets fired by the fbi and the chicago pd and one by the people in the home so, and then they're like how dare you shoot at us and then it charged them for attempted murder like what a yeah. bunch of pansy ass bitches dude like <laughs> unbelievable i think they um, read the same article jj because yeah it was kind of yeah. interesting yeah, I read three or four. Another one that they talked about was, so they played a lot with J. Edgar Hoover in this movie. And to be honest, up until that point, up until they were making this movie, so they wrote in, the guy was saying that the the director was, writer and director was saying that he, they included J. Edgar Hoover a lot more than what they knew he was actually involved. They didn't know. Nobody knew how much he knew. Now, J. Edgar Hoover was a real piece of shit. This guy was into everything, as we found out after he passed away. And, you know, that's one of the biggest things involved. But J. Edgar Hoover, they just put it in there because it would play better on on the movies. They had no confirmation that he knew, but they found out later after they had filmed the movie and screened it and all that stuff, they got confirmation, I guess, that he was aware of the raid. He did give the go ahead. So he was very involved in it, but they didn't. So they thought they were taking some artistic license. And then it turns out that they got confirmation letter that later that he did know. So interesting factoid there as well. What did you, so the one other one that I, that I saw was with the Alex Rackley 
murder. Mm. I don't know if you read on that because I was trying to find like I found that he was accused of being an FBI informant. But did you find something that like actually because they leaned into that a lot? In this yeah. And I was kind of curious if you guys found anything more about that. So full disclosure, I didn't do any research because I'm still furious. <laughs> so I, I have no idea what you guys are talking about, but I'm finding this very intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> what Ian's referring to is the guy that they were protecting in the Illinois chapter of the Black Panthers that was uh, supposedly had killed an informant and then was running because they were he had killed the guy. But it turns out he was the informant that they were then sending on the road trip to different Black Panther outposts on the run, supposedly on the lam for killing an FBI informant when he was the real informant. So the movie leaned into him being set up by the FBI to be just like Bill O'Neill, only he was traveling the country to the different chapters of the Black Planters and giving the FBI an in at each one of them. Like they did a raid. That's when they did the raid on the Black Panther Illinois chapter was to get him, quote unquote. So I, like you, Ian, when I did my research, I couldn't find anything that 100% confirmed that he was. Everything that I read either said, eh, it's speculated and he's accused of it. And then there were some where they were saying that certain individuals have come out and said that definitely he was. But from everything that I've read, that there was no, no FBI confirmation that he was like there was with Bill O'Neill. Gotcha. Okay, maybe you guys can tell me a little bit about this. So the government admits fault, settles to a lawsuit for less than $2 million 12 years later, right? Does anyone go to jail? Because there's multiple murders. No. Okay. So the government admits to multiple counts of murder and like conspiracy and attempted murder and whatever else is the list of, you know, lawsuit charges. And they say, here's $1.8 million. Can you leave us alone now? And now there's people alive today who believe that that same government should have more control and, and more power over over the people. I, I just want to make sure I'm following the, the timeline of events up until today so I can better understand the absolute dog shit that is being fed to me. I just want to make sure I'm following this correctly. Yeah, you are correct. Um, oh, great. Cool, cool, cool. I love education. I love being, <laughs> I love learning new things. You people are absolutely so you know, insane. I'm sorry. That's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm, it's cool. I, I, that's all the political stuff. I'm sorry. I'm done. Just you people are hypocritical and insane. So... Um, just talking about learning new things. One thing I did go and look up that was really interesting to read is I can't remember what they call it, but like their 10 point, I can't remember what they called it, but it was like 10 points on like how they view the Black Panthers, what they think should happen and kind of also what they believe. And I feel like if you haven't had a chance to read that, I think it's very interesting to read. There's some points that I was like, yeah, 100%. There's others that wasn't quite as on board with, but I feel like it's it shows a lot more about who the Black Panthers are than just reading and taking everybody's opinions. So super interesting stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a list of things that like they believe, like in the beginning of the movie, yeah, they, like, they like recited they, it a lot. Better. Ah, yeah, they put it. They put all that together, and I they kept referencing like their ten point um, thing in the movie. I think, but yeah. I don't know if they actually like talked through it. But reading it in detail is super interesting. That's fascinating, dude. Watching movies like this, I'm like, am I an anarchist? <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that question is Javier. If not 100, you're damn close, sir. <laughs> and I and I support you 100. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm an anarchist, but I don't have the balls to do anything about it. <laughs> like, I, 
I've uh yeah, I'm all barked no bite, right? Like I get on this podcast and I shout at people and then I just like go to my nine to five and like <laughs> there's like that speech that he's reciting from Malcolm X. It's like the government has failed you or whatever. I'm like, hell yeah, the government's failed us. Like, anyway, where's my stimmy check? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Javier, you, that's a great segue. Well done, sir. Because <laughs> I, I think the thing that stuck out to me the most is, yes, I knew the name Fred Hampton and I knew the situation, but I didn't know a lot of details. And that's on me in as far as the man goes, right? I knew the story. I knew the history vaguely, but I didn't know. I knew next to nothing about Fred Hampton himself and especially his age. Like I was shocked. Like I wasn't shocked when I watched the movie, when I saw the previews for the movie and saw, you know, here's, here's Daniel Kaluuya playing this. I love Daniel Kaluuya. He's been great in everything I've ever watched him in, but it didn't shock me to see him in this role until I started doing this pre-research and realized how young Fred Hampton was. And it blows me away because they did such a good job in this movie portraying. I went back and something else I did is I went back and read some of the accounts of his speeches and and the things that you're saying and like you could hear them at the end of the movie like recordings and this was an I had no idea how young he was and, and again I go back to like I was talking about in the in the spoiler free I'm 40 years old I'm a pretty educated man though it doesn't seem like it most of the time because I act like a fucking hooligan most of the time but <laughs> I'm fairly educated fairly intelligent and I can't even fathom at 40 years old, relatively mature, having been a leader in, in businesses. And, you know, I, I don't have kids, but I have nieces and nephews that I have no problem helping to teach some life lessons to. So I, I'm not afraid of that kind of responsibility to a very small personal degree. I cannot imagine leading an entire chapter of people that are so challenged and so taken advantage of and shit on. And, and especially at this time when they were fighting for such a powerful thing that is naturally is theirs, right? The human rights are human rights. So for us to say they're having to fight tooth and nail for human rights, even this far into where we are post-Civil War, which that sounds like it should make more of a difference, which we know it doesn't. But at the same time, this is a, at his oldest time when he was murdered at 21 years old, which means from the time he was 19-ish, 18, 19, this is a leader, a man leading a group, bringing groups together to form the Rainbow Coalition of grown-ass men and women that are far older, had far more life experience than he has. But he was trying to do this in a very peaceful way. He attended all of his meetings with himself and his his people that were part of the chapter of the Black Panthers not having weapons when they went in. And to just do it in such a mature, very strong and powerful way, I was very blown away. And it, you know, it added a level of, uh, of knowledge that just deepens the respect for what you have with something what Fred Hampton did and the unfortunate fact that, you know, he was assassinated and not allowed to continue to to progress and, and make those changes. Not a big socialist guy, but at the same time, I'm very much in line with a lot of the things that he talked about as far as we as people supporting each other will be far more powerful than ever trying to rely on a government to support us. So that think, really stuck out to me. I think one of my favorite parts about this, or favorite how do I put this? It's one of my favorite parts about Fred Hampton as he is portrayed in this movie is what you mentioned about the Rainbow Coalition. Because I think a lot of leaders, and this is typically what you see most leaders do, is they draw a line and say, this is us, this is them, you know, this is what we are, this is what they are. But what I loved about Fred Hampton is he's taking those different groups and unifying them. So while others were doing like a line in the sand, you're either here or you're here, he was taking people that typically didn't come together 
and bringing them together for a common cause. Um, and I had no idea about the Rainbow Coalition, but I thought that was the coolest thing. That was yeah. awesome. That was my one of my favorite scenes is when I don't know what the group is, but it's the Southern Confederate guys, mm -hmm. right? It's a giant ass Confederate flag and other Black Panthers are like, that makes me sick. Like... I don't see a flag hanging there. I see my, you know, great grandfather hanging from a tree. Right. And there's like a back and forth. And then Fred is like, what would have happened if, you know, these two groups came together and slit the throat of the master? We probably wouldn't be in this ghetto. Right. And so like that must have infuriated Fred Hampton to walk into a room and there's a giant Confederate flag and knowing like the meaning behind that. But he was able to put that aside, like, like those immediate feelings and say, like, we are after the same thing, right? We come from very different backgrounds, but we're after the same thing. And I thought that was such a powerful scene, right? Because today, like Ian's saying, even today, you have people drawing lines in the sand, right? You have people on social media all the time, like, you can't say that you're an advocate for minority rights if you don't advocate for all of them, right? I'm like, that's bullshit, dude. That's not even remotely true. And putting that line in the sand is dangerous, right? Like you're either with us or you're against us. And that's not true either, right? Like I am not a huge Black Lives Matter like supporter, but I am a very anti-police brutality supporter, right? And I feel like I've been able to come hand, like hand in hand with a lot of people that share that ideology, even if I don't share 100% of theirs and they don't share 100% of mine, right? And that's good enough. Like, yeah, I don't know. I agree with you, Ian. Like, I love that part of this movie, watching him bring all those people together. That was powerful for me. That was mm -hmm. so cool. Because he's like, the real enemy is, you know, the government. The real enemy is the the police. The real enemy is like, this, this is the real enemy. We are not enemies to each other. And I thought that was so cool. I'm with you, Javier. And I think for me, one of the things that stood out is kind of what you're talking about. For me, the big poignant piece of that was Fred Hampton didn't look for, and specifically in that situation, that's the most, the one that stuck out. I guess there's two that really stuck out to me. And that was obviously the, the really divisional piece that you expect to be difficult was when they went into, these guys weren't white supremacists. I don't want to say that. These guys were Southern white, which everyone leans into and go, oh, they're racist, you know, pieces of shit. Well, that's not necessarily true. It's unfortunate their choice of banners it obviously wasn't true right because Correct. they invited fred and the black panthers to speak at their little I, i'd say it's a conference but do rednecks have conferences uh, <laughs> like no i yeah. They're get together. They're hoedown. They're get, no, they're, yeah, they're hoedown. There it is. <laughs> so like they're clearly not racist and they defend the flag of like it reminds us of our southern heritage, which, you know, like I'm with you, JJ. Not a great way to remember. Like, no. you know, maybe I don't know. There's things that are southern like uh, like uh, like uh, grits. Just have a flag with grits on it. <laughs> And, and grits are delicious, so I support that fully. I, uh, yeah, I have an issue with that flag, not because I understand. Look, again, I, I lived in the South, and I've, I've heard that argument. Well, it's part of my Southern heritage. Yeah, but it's a bad part of your Southern heritage. So <laughs> let's not like lean it's, into that. There are things you, you guys have so of. many good parts of your heritage. Seriously. That's not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a lot of cool shit that you could talk about and, and use as part of, you know, supporting the fact that you're from the South without being an asshole. I, I mean, and that's just, it is what it is. But anyway, for me, like you, I, you walk into that meeting and you expect attention, but when they meet with the crowns, like that was an interesting, now there were two things. And one thing that I didn't like was, and I think this is one thing that I wish that they had done differently. I understand the reason for the stealing of the car at the beginning and how he pretended to be an FBI agent in the crown bar added to the tension and ha made it so he, you know, there was, but I didn't like that. That was the reason, the main reason that you felt the tension. Cause you were like, Oh God, this guy's going to get 
outed as a rat, right? I wanted the fact that there was tension because these are two different groups of the same race, of the same belief system with subtle differences. And to your point, Javier, what we do as groups even today and what we saw in this movie is we're so quick to identify the things that we see differently and not the things that we see the same, which creates more of a divide when what Fred Hampton did was look for the things that were similar, the things that we had in common, and then that unifies us much faster than you can even realize. Once you realize that there's common ground, regardless, that common ground can unify and make you very powerful. That was the big part with J. Edgar Hoover and why he and why the FBI and the police were so afraid of the Rainbow Coalition and why this man had to go away was because you now had Puerto Ricans. He was unifying all of the different black movements and the so, so the civil rights movements. He had the whites grouping up with it. I mean, this is a dangerous thing for a government that understands that they're doing shit wrong and they're not doing things well enough. Of course, that's frightening. And so for me, I think that's what we do today worse than anything is we're so quick to lean into our differences that we forget that no matter how different we are, there's probably some common ground there that would make us better people and make our lives better and make the world better if we would lean into that as opposed to just finding what makes us different. Yeah. No matter how different we get, the government is still fucking us in the ass. Right? <laughs> we can all can agree always, on that at least, right? I can, I can always count on your eloquence, Javier. <laughs> <laughs> just to sum up that beautiful speech that JJ just gave. It's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so let's talk quickly then about Bill O'Neill because I think... Wild Bill. Wild Bill. I think Wild there's a couple Bill. things to, to discuss that really hit me with this movie. And I think one of them is, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to villainize this guy. And don't get me wrong. He did shitty things. But we also, again, forget that he was 17 years old when he got recruited by the FBI. He was getting paid. We saw back then the equivalent of $200,000. There's no denying that at that time, that's a, I mean, shit, that's a huge amount of money today. But back then, and, and considering where he came from, where he grew up, West Side, South Side, wherever, side of Chicago in the ghetto and not in great circumstances, plus to the point that we find out later and in my research that this FBI agent, Roy Mitchell, was very good at recruiting informants. If I was reading right, they, they say he had up to anywhere from like nine to 12 active at any time within the Black Panther movement. And a 17-year-old is very easily influenced with money, the idea of being able to move up in stature and status, get out of the slums, get out of the ghetto, move up in the world. He did invite, talk about the fact that he was invited into the man's home. I, yeah, I just look at this and I I feel bad because, and they did a good job in the movie portraying the fact that he was very dual-minded and felt trapped. I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting perspective to think of. And yes, what he did was wrong and it should never have happened. It was, but at the same time, like I can't sit and 100% say, I don't understand either. That'd be very hypocritical of me to say that I can't see why that happened. I liked the contrast between O'Neill and Hampton, right? Because you have O'Neill who's facing six and a half years in prison, right? Or he can inform on the Black Panthers and, you know, eventually like he's, he kills Fred Hampton. Like he gets really involved. You have Fred Hampton who's facing five years in prison and the crowns give him money to basically leave the country, right? So you have both men facing 
between prison time, both men are offered money and they both react basically polar opposite because of what they believe in, right? You have Fred Hampton who's like, no, let's build a clinic. What's five years? I'll go to prison for five years if we can build a hospital that can help the people. And you've got O'Neill who's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go inform on these people that you are convinced are a terrorist group. And he's like, I like, to be fair, he struggled with like murdering Fred Hampton, but he still went through with it. Right. So I just thought it was really, really cool. That contrast between the two, even though they're put in like pretty similar situations and like how they're how one's anchored in a belief system and one's not. I agree. That's a great point. One thing I wanted to, this is a little bit lighter, but I, <laughs> I did want to bring up the uh, the scene where he's with his his Black Panthers, O'Neill is, and they get him back into the car and one of the Black Panthers grabs his gun from the glove box and holds him at gunpoint and they get him to tell him that he hotwired the car and then make him hotwire it in front of him. And you can just see in his face, like, I really hope this works. I really hope this works. And then your relief that like is so obvious when it starts the car and it's like yeah yeah they're like well how do you have the keys oh i had my you know my buddy hook me up with the change in the lock you think i'm just gonna stick a screwdriver in this thing are you kidding me yeah because he's got to get women and stuff like that yeah sorry that's what i meant no that's a great scene because that's what i meant in the the spoiler free of like i didn't know who i was rooting for because i did feel relief right i'm like oh dude this guy almost yeah. died but like if he had been discovered and shot at that point fred hampton well i don't know if he'd still be alive but he wouldn't have been killed by o'neill right so like for some reason there were times like that where i was rooting for o'neill and i i have no idea why because i'm obviously on fred hampton's side this whole time <laughs> I like that they also showed, this was an, at doing research, a super interesting fact that I found that at one point, um, I believe it said 60% of Black Panthers were women. And mm. so there was a really strong presence by women in the Black Panthers. And I like that they That's why they're so well organized. <laughs> yeah, no it's kidding. True. And since we're on that topic, let's talk about Dominique Fishback because she played Deborah Johnson the mother to Fred, Fred's kid, Fred Hampton Jr.'s mother. That performance was, bar none, my favorite performance in this whole movie. This woman, like, just killed in this movie. Like, it was amazing how emotional. Like, I think watching that performance, like, in every part she was in, like, you believe that she's this shy girl that's in awe and yet not afraid to say, you could do better at what you're doing so well let me help you like but still just in awe and have a deep respect for what fred hampton was doing like and then to watch their relationship develop and that she stands by him and that he obviously loves her and she loves him and they're having this kid together and some of the moments that for me like in a lot of times i go ah this wasn't necessary like i feel it just added so much to this movie and i and again i think she far and away stole the show in this movie and was really to me the backbone and it's really interesting to me and i love that she got portrayed so well because most of the story comes from her she's still alive her son is the Illinois Black Panther Cub chairman and, uh, you know, still fighting that fight today, I think is just, I think it's fantastic. Uh, what did you guys think of, of that performance from her? Way better than Project Power. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the relationship, I, I think I was the same way, JJ, where I was like, man, this is this movie could be shorter if we just cut all this stuff out. But it was like a slow burn, right? Because that made the raid at the end that much worse, right? Yeah. Knowing that she was pregnant, she was sleeping with Fred Hampton, who was already dead, right? Like that scene of her like trying to wake him up during that raid, like that would not have been as powerful if they didn't spend enough time 
building their relationship together. So I'm glad that it paid dividends in the end. While I was watching it, though, I was like, while it is a good performance, let's get back to the uh, bribing people and killing people. I thought she did a great job. But when as far as like the performances that really made this, I absolutely love listening to Fred Hampton when he was doing his speeches. In fact, I have had his voice in my head like chanting for the past two days since watching this movie. So <laughs> yep. I'm just like stuck. I so, am revolutionary. Yeah. yeah. Those were really powerful moments. You could see how involved emotionally everybody was in the crowd. Like it just, it was really cool to watch him give those speeches. For sure. And I don't want to take anything away from Daniel Kaluuya or or even uh, Lakeith Stanfield because their performances were also extremely powerful and and amazing performances from acting. Like you said, I keep thinking about those speeches and and even Lakeith Stanfield who played Bill O'Neill, like he gave such a tortured performance throughout. Right. Like like at one moment he's admiring, you know, the FBI agent wants to be like him. And then the next minute, like he's he want he's admiring Fred Hampton and wants to be like him. And I think when I say that that she stole the performance for me is just because she's she's a secondary character in the story right when it comes down to it she's not in real life obviously but in this movie and as it's being portrayed she's she's a supporting actor and yet every time she was on screen i found myself watching her even in that moment in that speech that you're talking about ian where he's I am a revolutionary. Like I watched her whenever she was on screen and she's the tears are going down her face and she's, you know, she can see the improvement in his speeches that she's helped him get to like watching her made them that much more powerful to me. So I just really liked what she did, but the acting across the board in this movie was absolutely phenomenal. Oh yeah. No, I agree with you. I fully agree. I, I just wanted to bring up those, mm-hmm. those speeches because they were powerful moments too. Even like before, they were like scripted or like she helped them. Like one of the very first ones was so cool. Like oh, yeah. the one was where they make the analogy of the fire burning and not mm-hmm. to confuse us for the ones who lit the fire. I was just like, man, that, that packs a punch, dude. Well, and 20, 20 year old, 20, 21 year old kid. It's insane to me. Like, because those speeches came, like they were things that were, you know, that he said, like they came from actual speeches. It wasn't like they wrote these for the movie. Like these are things that actually happened. So I, I again, I go back to, it's just amazing. One thing, Javier, that you, you've said a couple of times, and I, I just want to touch on it because it was one of the last thing that came up in my research that was a little different from the real life situation. And that was O'Neill did drug Fred Hampton, but he only drugged him to sleep. And in the movie, they show Fred not waking up at all. He's just laying there in the bed as the raid happens. And then he's he's shot at the end. When they talk to his, oh, she changed her name and I'm kicking myself. But Deb, Deborah Johnson, during the interview, he actually, she was shaking him during the raid as the gun. And then he, she says that he sat up and looked at her and then laid back down because he was just so heavily sedated by whatever that powder was that O'Neill put in his drink. So he actually didn't, he wasn't poisoned. He was just sedated so that he couldn't run away from the raid because if he'd have heard it, they could have gotten him out of the home, but they needed him to be there so that he could be killed. Oh, so they do. They do mention that in the movie where he's like, you watch too many movies. It'll just make him sleepy. I thought he was dead. So, oh, when they walked in and those and said, oh, oh, I think he's going to make it and then fired off two or three shots. That was them killing Fred Hampton. Oh, correct. Okay. okay. 
So while O'Neill was very directly involved in his death, he wasn't the actually one, the one that killed him per se. He just made it so that he couldn't escape the raid, which then in turn obviously allowed them to kill him. In such well, as they say so in this movie, he wasn't the trigger man, but those are just semantics. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about this movie. You guys ready to rate it? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I'll kick us off. Man, this movie is so good that I would just be remiss if I didn't give it a five. It's one of those things where when I watch it, it's so well done. And I think it's even better. Like I enjoyed, you know, since we've mentioned it and it's very relevant to the the story, we, The Trial of Chicago 7 was very good. But this one is, to me, just a little bit better. And I think that's because it it, it is so heavy and yet it tells this story and it leans very much into the very important parts of this this man's story story to me. The fact that he was a unifier and he was very charismatic, very focused on the right things. You know, the fact that he actually did give up money in order to start a free clinic and he hosted the meals for these kids and all of this was his focus. He united, you know, different races, racial groups in order to better the community and the place that he lived in for Chicago and Illinois as a whole. I, just amazing to watch this story. On top of that, the acting is some of the best I've seen in a long time. If there's not names for in Oscar talks and things like that at the end of this year I, for this movie, I will be very disappointed. I just think this needs to have some of those talks because the three main actors were amazing. And when you have Martin Sheen in a movie, even as little as he was in it, and he's the last actor I talk about, you know that those performances were fantastic. So great acting, very intense writing. The soundtrack was amazing. We mentioned it in the in the spoiler free. We didn't talk about it in the deep dive, but the music was so great because like you said, the fact that jazz music is playing in these tense moments mm-hmm. and yet it adds to the tension. Oh, such a great soundtrack to me and and score i just really enjoyed this movie i will watch it again i there's no question about it i think it's well done it's it'll be a minute because it is heavy but i think you should if you haven't seen this movie or you didn't have plans you should go out and watch this movie it's a great movie so again a five and i will watch this movie again Ian, what about you I'm definitely in the same boat as far as rewatching. Like it's going to, I'm going to need a little bit before I see this movie again, because it is so heavy and there's so many injustices and it's just, it's not your happy (laughs) movie. You learn a lot, you see a lot. And as you said, the acting was phenomenal. I really enjoyed how well they did at taking the actual events and portraying them as accurately as they could with maybe one or two really small exceptions. And that's that's probably what I like most about this movie is it took something that I wasn't aware of and presented it in a way that was not only entertaining, but also very informative and encouraged me to go and learn more. So I think that's as I look at it, I, I'm going to say 4.5 just because it is one of those that's I usually watch movies to kind of get away from this kind of stuff. <laughs> But it, it's it's just very heavy, very heavy movie. So be prepared for that. Javier, bring us home. Honestly, I, I'm exactly in line with Ian, right? Like this is an incredible movie as far as acting and, you know, music and, and, and accuracy and just like what it makes you feel. But I typically don't watch movies for that, right? Like I watch movies because I have had enough of the bullshit that I call life. That's why I like Jurassic Park because it's just so <laughs> far-fetched. It's just never going to happen. It's just a nice little getaway for me, you know? So, I mean, with that, I think I'm going to I'm gonna copy Ian again. I'm going to give it a 4.5. Like incredible movie. The 0.5 is just because like I typically just don't watch movies for the reason that this movie was made. I, I'd watch it again. 
But I'm with both of you guys, like, ah, not for a while. And honestly, one of you guys is probably going to be like, hey, I'm going to watch this movie again. Do you want to watch? And I'd be like, sure. You know, like, I don't think I'm going to go out of my way to watch it, but I'm not opposed to watching it at all. It just makes me so mad. Jeez. Like, (laughs) it just makes me so angry. Anyways, yeah, I'd watch it again. 4.5. Yeah, I get you, Javier. It's it's a terrible moment among many terrible moments in our country's history. But but it's it's so well played out. Great movie. Go check this thing out. Like I said, it's on HBO Max for a limited time, and it's also available in theaters. Probably on all of the streaming here in the next probably month or so. Once it gets past its HBO Max playtime, but you should definitely check it out. It's it's worth it. Also, check us out. Moving forward, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at What's Our Verdict. You can check out our website, whatsourverdict.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, get updates for what's coming soon, as well as some additional exclusive opportunities to listen to us mess up as we're trying to record. It's quite funny. Probably some episodes coming soon. Next week, be sure to tune into another episode on What's Our Verdict of The Blythe Spirit. It's an up-and-coming comedy based on an older movie and a play, so it should be interesting. After that, oh, guys, let's go ahead and talk about it since let's get it out there. After that, our episode following that is our one-year release. Guess what we're going to do, guys? We should just have people guess, right? We should have people guess, but I think if they've listened, well, I guess we'll know if they've listened to us because yeah. we could say we were going to do have it people guess. We'll talk about it next week. That's fair. That's fair. So we want to guess. We're doing one year. March 1st will be our one-year release, literally to the, to the date, March 1st. We want to know, what's your guess? What, what movie are we watching for our one-year celebration? Hit us up on uh, Instagram at What's Our Verdict, Facebook at What's Our Verdict, Twitter at What's Our Verdict. Uh, let us know what you think it'll be. Email us at hosts at whatsourverdict.com with your guesses. Yeah, we'd love to hear your guesses. What are we going to be reviewing? And we'll definitely let you know next week uh, what that is, but we'd love to hear what your guesses are. Yeah. So that is that. We appreciate you tuning in. Go check us out. Let us know if you have any recommendations for what to watch. Leave us a review and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye now. Cinemagic out. Cinemagic out.